First Peter will be uh, in the book of First Peter. Most of the passages will be on the screen, uh, but not all of them. And I, I want to say and start off with just thanking you as a church family uh, for sending me to Southeast Asia. It's like a place I've never seen before. Uh, very different than many other experiences that I've had in different uh, uh, fields of the world. So uh, very, very thankful f- uh, as a church family that you were able to send me and uh, had a chance to uh, spend there. Uh, left two weeks ago, uh, many of you know that, I've been praying, but left two weeks ago Sunday night and then uh, got back in Friday night. Uh, interesting because of the time difference, I left a little bit after midnight on Thursday uh, so it was like 12.10 or so a.m., so it was actually Friday morning because it was after midnight and got in on Friday uh, in, to Atlanta and spent about 26 of 29 hours on the plane. Two different flights. Uh, the longest flight I've had so far, just one flight itself was 16 hours um, and very, very interesting. Uh, the lady next to me only got up one time the whole, the whole flight. I got up probably seven times. I, I needed to walk around. I needed to get food and water. And, uh, but very thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to go. And so I want to show, first of all, uh, kind of bring greetings from uh, one of the churches that we were uh, at, uh, I'm, I'm thinking even how they pronounce it there, G-B-I-I. But uh, G-B-I-I. Renon is the name of the, the neighborhood. And then uh, Bali, of course, is the island that we spent most of the time there. Uh, and then the, the next picture, um, we can show this picture because he's the pastor of the church. Um, and it's interesting that in the country, you, you can be a Christian. You just can't evangelize other people to become Christians. And so that's where the difficulty comes in uh, for the uh, multicultural and, and cross-cultural gospel workers is that that is illegal, that you're not supposed to evangelize. Of course, we know that that is a commandment from Scripture, uh, but very thankful that uh, we had a chance to meet uh, Pastor O'Neill and his wife, Esty, and then their beautiful family. And this is just part of their family. They have uh, several other adopted children that are older, uh, serving Christ. But this is the family that's still uh, with them. And uh, what a blessing to hear their testimony, to uh, even see them serve as a family. And uh, they blessed us even by singing a song in English. And uh, just, uh, man, I don't think there was a dry eye in, the, in that auditorium as we had a chance to worship together. Uh, hear not only his goal and burden for their island, but also other islands there. And uh, just so continue to pray uh, for them. But the next, next slide will show you a little of a contrast that, we, that I saw in a, in a vivid way between the living hope that we read about in First Peter, the living hope of the gospel, and then a dead hope. So all throughout the island, uh, Bali is predominantly uh, Hindu, and so all throughout the island you'll see little offerings like this uh, that are in, the, you know, in, in storefronts, uh, they're in restaurants, they're in the bathrooms. Uh, they're, I mean, you, you cannot go far without seeing some type of offering like this. Some are very simple, like you see on the very left-hand side of the screen. Some are very elaborate. Uh, the middle one, there is a whole street, and I'm not sure exactly what that specific community was celebrating, but there's a whole street that had these uh, very elaborate you know, offerings. Uh, the, the one on the far right screen was just one of the uh, stores in the airport. And uh, almost always you would just see you know, some little, little offering here and there. The difference and the interesting thing is 
There's kind of two types of offerings that they, that they do. The ones that are lower on the ground, so it'd be the left one and the far right, those are the ideas to appease the demons, to kind of keep them at bay. And the thought is, is that demons can only operate within a certain uh, height. Uh, I think it's maybe three or four feet. So those offerings are placed below that level. And so below three or four feet, those offerings are to appease the demons. The higher offerings, the ones that are placed on higher, those are to entice their gods to come down to the island and to show favor upon the people. And uh, how different than what we read and know to be true about the God uh, of the living hope. Their daily routine is, is drastically affected by all that they do. And a couple, this next slide will show that. One of the uh, temples that we went to, Tanalot, um, you can only access the temple on low tide. And so thankfully it was, it was low tide. So we're able to go and see the temple on the top of the screen. Uh, there were those who were allowed to actually go up and into the temple. We weren't because uh, we, we are not you know, Hindu, so it was restricted. Uh, but those that were there celebrating uh, were bringing you know, offerings. And you can see them carrying it on their heads as they would go up into the temple that you see on the bottom screen there uh, that I uh, was able to get a picture farther away. And then the second, uh, second slide here. This is another temple that was farther away, an elaborate property. I mean, just beautiful uh, but sad at the same time, as we saw so many that had traveled there from a, a far distance, uh, and I was able to kind of put my phone above the walls. Again, we weren't able to go in this middle area. There's actually a sign um, in several languages, but one was in English that I understood, and it said, you know, this is a holy place. Guests are not allowed to enter. It's like, okay, I got the message. But you could see them doing some of the rituals, and uh, on, the, on the top there, you can see some of the offerings uh, that had already been given, and then on the bottom screen, one of the families that was there that day. But there's all of these things that become part of just their daily rituals and their daily routines, and really um, dominate how they think, how they live, uh, their finances, uh, so much so that uh, each family is expected to have an individual shrine in their, in their back, you know, part of their property or somewhere in their house. If they don't have enough money to build a shrine, then they, it's expected that they are to borrow money from other family members and friends uh, to be able to, to, to build a shrine and sometimes even to improve that and to add upon that. Um, and just, it continues. I mean, I, I've, I'm learning more and more, the, even the families that were there. Uh, one's been there for two years. Another family's been there for a year and a half. And they both said, we, we feel like we've just are beginning to understand um, all that goes on around, you know, and, and part of this uh, culture here on the island of Bali. I'll share a little bit more next week, but uh, even how they, how they do their burials. Uh, they have special cremation, public cremation areas, and uh, it's a very expensive occasion. Uh, so saddened to see, but yet excited to be able to meet some Indonesian believers who uh, have come to know the living hope of Jesus Christ. And I can't help but think some of you have met uh, Varshan. Um, he is not from that country, but he's from India. And I'll never forget uh, asking him after he had accepted Christ. Varshan was from a Hindu background. And I remember asking him, from everything you've seen and learned, what is the biggest difference between how you grew up and what you now know through Jesus Christ? And he said, there's one word, and it's grace. It's grace. Varshan's not a theologian. He was a new believer when he said that, but he understood the, the whole point 
of the gospel, that we have grace in Jesus Christ. So, what you know, beyond that, it's interesting that I was able to meet some there in, in the country who have uh, suffered, who have experienced some, some scorn and some rejection. Uh, the next picture, I believe, shows that. We'll just, we're just going to call him Christian. So the one on the far right, he's got the, the Christian Dior shirt on, but we'll just call him Christian. Uh, but Christian was saved out of, out of Hinduism, he and his wife both. And it was interesting to be able to hear his testimony about how he has been totally rejected from his family. He's been disinherited. So he has lost his physical and earthly inheritance, but yet what we read about and studied and have even recited in Scripture the last couple of weeks, he has gained an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that can't be stolen, and a living hope in, in Jesus Christ. And that's what he celebrates, even though the difficulties that he faces still to this day, and there's been even physical threats um, on he and his wife, and even on his pastor, the, the far left, uh, because of his conversion to, to Jesus Christ. Uh, but what a blessing to be able to see him as a modern-day elect exile, as we saw those terms used in 1 Peter. That, that's what he is. He's living as a chosen, as an elect, as a redeemed exile in Southeast Asia. I'm very thankful uh, for his testimony. I can't show you the picture of the next one, but the, the other... Uh, individual that, that I, I met and we were able to hear from uh, it leads a, a, an outreach using a lot of times the internet and uh, Facebook targeted ads and WhatsApp, uh, especially for uh, the Muslims in many of the other islands. And uh, he, he shared about uh, kind of how that, how God is growing that in a lot of house churches. Uh, but from 2006 to 2008, he actually spent time in prison because he was caught evangelizing. And so they asked us during that presentation for us not to take any pictures of him, uh, but he just shared his heart. And uh, so these are some men who know, they know exactly what it means uh, to be exiles for the faith. But yet they continue and they want to share the gospel more and more. What, what is the reason for that? Well, we looked at that two weeks ago. Uh, the reason for the living hope is all wrapped up in our Redeemer, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is our Master, Jesus, Yahweh saves. Christ is the Chosen One, the Messiah. Uh, he's given us a living hope that uh, was offered because of God's great mercy, we saw in the first couple of verses of 1 Peter 1. This is a living hope that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's still valid because Jesus Christ is not dead, but he rose again, so it is a living hope. It's guarded in heaven by God for us. We, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, are guarded and kept secure in the grasp of Jesus Christ and God the Father. So these, this is the reason for living hope, but what is the response to that? 1 Peter 1 and verse 6 begins just a very, you know, four words, in this Rejoice. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. In this, rejoice. Let's say it one more time. In this, rejoice. So the response to this is to celebrate. The response to this is to be, to be very thankful. The response is to, to be able to worship because of the salvation that we have. Because of the living hope that is our promise. It's not just something that we, that we in sometimes our modern use of hope, that we hope will come to pass but that we have a, an expectation that we, we believe by faith that it will. To rejoice in your living hope. 
Some of you are already off school. Audrey got home yesterday, so she has a week off of college, although she was doing some homework last night even. But anyway, she's, she doesn't have to go to class every day. And some of you have just started your Thanksgiving break. Uh, can I hear an amen from the students? Yeah, okay, so that's exciting. There's, there's something to be thankful about that Monday morning you don't have to get up super early perhaps and go to school. But so, so that's an exciting thing, and we can be thankful for that. It's exciting to think about Thanksgiving, you know, dinner. I enjoy that. I enjoy some, some good turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and coarse bread. You always have to have bread and a little bit of sweet tea. I mean, these are great things to be thankful for. But none of that compares to the living hope and the, what we have to celebrate in the salvation through Christ. Some of you may think, well, you know, all of that is, is good, but I, I can't wait till Black Friday. I mean, I've got my eyes on some deals, and I'm going to snag a deal on Black Friday. But not, even that will never compare to the present that you receive through Jesus Christ that can never perish, can never be taken, and you can never bring that home in a bag. That is the salvation that we experience, and that's what we're to rejoice, as we see in 1 Peter 1.6. In this, in this living hope, rejoice. Secondly, another response is to rest in God's grace during your life's hardships. To rest in God's grace during your life's hardships. As we look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 6 again. In this, in this living hope, in this salvation, you rejoice. And then it says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So if we have a proper understanding of the living hope, that we are heirs of the living hope, that this is a promise for us as followers of Jesus Christ, then it will help us to respond well and to respond biblically and even be able to rejoice in the trials of life. I want to break this verse down a little bit and look at some kind of a theology of trials built in this one verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. First of all, your trials are temporary. Your trials are temporary. 1 Peter 1 and verse 6 again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, comma. Our trials are temporary. Whether you live to be 85 or 95 or maybe even 105, we all know that, it, that at some point, either Christ comes back to rapture us or we are taken to be with him. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul says. So our trials are temporary, though now for a little while. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says it this way, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I, I kind of find it interesting, to be honest with you, that Paul describes his affliction as light momentary affliction. We're talking about a man who is beaten for the faith, we're talking about a man who was stoned and left for dead. We're talking about a man who went through shipwreck. I mean, this, this guy, if, if I were him, I would have said something like, man, for this, for this huge momentary affliction. But Paul had a better understanding, perhaps, that this really, in all comparison, was just a light momentary affliction as it compares to the living hope that we have to look forward to. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And I love this, beyond all comparison. The next verse, verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
The NIV translates it as, as temporary. So the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we, we must be reminded that, yes, our trials are temporary. Perhaps you receive a diagnosis at some point that you have cancer and you have to go through the, the painful treatment of chemotherapy and radiation. And I, I have not experienced that yet. I hope not to, to be honest. But even that, we can look and hope and go, this is just temporary. As we look at the verse, though now for a little while, comma, it's almost, even in the grammar, it reminds us that this is just a portion. This isn't the end of the sentence. This isn't the whole story. This is just part of what God is doing and teaching us and bringing us close to him. Think about mothers who give you know, natural birth and the pain that's experienced in that. I'm going to be honest. I, I am, uh, I'm glad that, in a sense, for that reason, that God didn't make me a woman. I, I don't know that we would have any children if, if God had. But as, as Kim and our, and our five um, children that God gave us, four of those were natural births. And I, I pled with Kim every time, hey, just, you know, take the medicine. Get the shot in the back. And she's like, no, but it just isn't quite the same. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> I do not, do not get this. I do not understand this. And she's like, yeah, but it's just the, you know, that feeling when the baby comes. I'm like, okay, more power to you. You know, and I'm praying. And I'm, but it, all of that to say, there's great pain. But then when the baby comes, man, that is the, the experience of holding the newborn and having gone through that pain and experiencing that joy of holding the newborn. That's just a, a very uh, easy or very human illustration of all that we have to look forward to in heaven. The living hope that is before us. Your trials are temporary, but also your trials are necessary. Your trials are necessary. 1 Peter 1, 6, and this you rejoice, though now for a little while, comma, if necessary. And they are. God, God allows our trials for a purpose. Think about this in John chapter 9. We actually looked at this story during our I Am Statements study. But let's review a little bit. John chapter 9 and verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And notice uh, verse 3 of John chapter 9. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This was a part of God's purpose for this man's life. That even born blind, it wasn't because of his sin necessarily. It wasn't because of his parents' sin. Yes, in part it's because of a broken world. But, but Jesus Christ declared, even more specifically, primarily this was meant so that God's glory would be seen through this man. His trials were necessary. And it brought about a very visual illustration of God's power and his glory. We see that... It's necessary for several reasons. One, for humility. For humility. We looked at Paul who said this light momentary affliction. But Paul was a man just like we are. Paul had temptations just like we do. In fact, Paul even tells us that he, he struggled at times with feelings of, of pride and, and feelings of arrogance. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It'll be on the screen also. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, so to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, 
A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then we see in verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is exactly what Kim said just a few minutes ago. That sometimes when God allows us to kind of come to the end of our rope or we're kind of at the end of ourselves, many times that's exactly where God wants us. Because no more can we think, man, I'm doing it. I've got the talents. I have the personality. I have the gifts. Many times God wants us to get to a place where like, God, I don't know how this can be done. But you're powerful. You, your grace can be strong in me. So oftentimes God allows these trials and these hardships for our humility, but also for service to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction. So as long as you and I live in a broken world, and that will be true until Christ returns, as long as we live in a broken world, you and I will face trials. We're going to face difficulties. People around us will face difficulties. So as a believer, you and I have the opportunity to face those trials but still rejoice because in comparison to the living hope and knowing that our living hope is still with us, that he walks through those trials with us can help us to endure, help us to, to go through and still rejoice in that. But then beyond that, Paul explains that part of the reason is that so as we grow, as we rest in him, as we grow in our confidence in Jesus Christ, so then you and I can help others who face trials also. That we can be a blessing to them, that we can step in and, and put our arms around them and, and hug them and pray with them and cry with them and say, I may not know exactly what you're feeling, but I've suffered too and I've gone through trials and let me share a little bit about how God has encouraged me. Let me share a little bit about how I can still rejoice in the midst of those trials. And I want to say this is a, a humbling experience. Because as we do that, what does that mean? I have to admit to those that I'm trying to, to bless because of, of the trials that I've gone, I have to admit, I don't have it all together. I've had difficulties too, and I, I've struggled. And there's been times where I have doubted. There's been times where I've asked God, you know, why God? So it's a humbling experience to be able to open up and just to share sometimes and go, listen, I can, I can identify with some of the feelings you're having right now. And I can identify with some of the frustration and maybe some of the temptations to bitterness. It's a humbling experience. It's also a faith-building experience. As much as we have grown, as much as we can trust in God, as much as we've seen him work in our life, I can't make that happen in somebody else's life. So I can share scripture, I can pray with someone, and sometimes that's the most important thing is just to sit and listen. Not, not preach right away. Not say, well, all things work together. Okay, all right, we believe that. But sometimes it's just being next to our brother and sister in Christ and saying, hey, I'm here. How can I help? Can I help clean your house? Can I bring you a meal? Can, I, can we go to coffee together? Can I help keep your kids? I mean, how can I help you? 
But even all that, I can't guarantee and I can't make someone trust in God in that moment. So sometimes it's this faith-building experience that although I share my life and I'm vulnerable and you share your life and you become vulnerable, in the end, it's, it's their decision between them and God. Now, it's also a focus-calibrating experience. Why is that? Because it's very likely that the longer you do this and the more people you reach out to, the more people you become vulnerable with and you share part of your life story and all that you, that's happened, all that God has taught you, it is very likely, very probable, in fact, that you're going to be hurt. It's very probable. But yet Paul, I mean, think, think Paul's saying this is, this is reason that God allows us to go through some of these things. And he comforts us so that we can comfort others. And remember, Peter says, and, and I think it's 1 Peter chapter 5, Christ suffered so that we can follow in his steps. So in this aspect, think about this. He lived and walked and served with the very man who would betray him three years later. He washed the feet of Judas he, he watched some of the other disciples kind of get sucked into to Judas' influence at times, even some of their criticisms that they had of how Jesus, you know, would do things, or, or even of, of Mary and the offering, you know, of, of the fragrant offering that she get, gave, and Judas, he criticized that. Jesus watched all of that, but yet continued to serve and to love and to show kindness, knowing that Judas would betray him. Brothers and sisters, I... I I wish that I could tell you that you will always be appreciated. I wish that I could tell you that, you know, good, as you serve and as you open your heart, that people are always going to change and grow in Christ. But that's not true. But the fact is, we do this for Christ's sake. I don't do it because of my brother and sister in Christ primarily. I don't do it because, and you fill in the name, I don't do it because in the end I hope to receive you know, some, some gratification and some, some thankfulness from that individual. Oftentimes that happens. But I do it and you and I should both do it primarily because Christ has called us to do that. He's given us an example that we would be able to serve and to comfort others even though it means that most likely we'll be hurt at times. Thirdly, we see that this is allowed for experiential knowledge of God. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4 again. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Notice, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted, comforted by God. We'll dive into this point a little more next week. But this passage reminds us that our trials are necessary. They help us experience God in more meaningful ways. There's, you know, a lot of, I've enjoyed a lot of fun times with my dad and, and mom through the years. But some of the more meaningful times that I can remember are times that I was low. Difficulties that I experienced. And likewise with God the Father, God has blessed me with so many things and there's been many awesome moments in my life. But some of the more intimate and faith-building and close times that I've experienced with God the Father has, have been in some of the lowest times in my life. And God often allows trials to remind us that, man, we desperately, desperately need him. And so as we go through trials, this will help us to grow in our experiential knowledge 
of God. Your trials are temporary, your trials are necessary, but notice also your trials will be difficult. The passage says this, 1 Peter 1 and verse 6, again, in this you rejoice, so in this salvation, you rejoice, you be happy, you celebrate, though now for a little while, they're temporary, if necessary, and they are, but it says, you have been grieved by various trials. I'm not here this morning to tell you, listen, come to Christ and it's going to be great. You won't have trials. You won't have difficulties. One of the the, uh, most uh, widespread uh, prosperity gospel church in Brazil, the Universal Reign of God Church, one of their biggest slogans is stop the suffering. Stop the suffering. But sometimes God wants us to go through suffering to grow through that. It's not to to always just take it away, but to help us go through and to grow in that. Grow in our experiential knowledge of God. Your trials will be difficult. You've been grieved by various trials. Now, whether your trials are specifically related to being a follower of Christ, or many times our trials are just because we do live in a broken world and sinness and sin and death and uh, the just relationships that are difficult. But all of that reminds us, rejoice because Christ is greater. Our joy in him is even more reason to rejoice than even the trials we go through. Notice 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. He doesn't try to downplay this. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He says, no, uh, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Then verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Your trials will be difficult, but there's always greater reason to rejoice in Christ. And lastly, we see that your trials will be varied. Your trials will be varied. 1 Peter 1.6, And this you rejoice, though now for a little while... Comma, if necessary, and they are, you have been grieved, they're difficult, by various trials. By various trials. The NIV translated all kinds of trials. The King James trans- translates manifold trials. Now it's interesting, 1 Peter 4, verse 10, Peter uses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter uses this same word for, for all kinds or for various or for manifold. He uses that same word to talk about the grace that God has for us as well. So in each and every trial that we could potentially face, and in this group, even though it's somewhat small, in this group, imagine all the different trials that if we gave you a minute or two or 10 or 15 or an hour, you could come up and share, man, I've been through this and this and this and this. The blessing that I have to share with you is there's grace for that and for that and for that and for that, for everything. God's grace is just as manifold, just as varied, just as plentiful as every difficulty and every trial that any of us can face. God's grace is enough to match all of that. Thankful for his varied grace. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, this is Paul, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, and notice this, that we despaired of life itself. Wow. 
I mean, this is like, this is Paul. This is the church planner. This is the great missionary. This is the guy who said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is Paul, but he says, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be honest. We went through some difficulties, so difficult that we despaired of life itself. We thought this is the end. But then he goes on. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul, again, was vulnerable. He's just saying, you know, he wasn't trying to, to be the big hero here. He wasn't trying to do the bestseller, you know, how to go through a shipwreck and, and come out, you know, rejoicing. He's just listening. We were in despair. We thought we were about to die, but God allowed this to help us not to rely on ourselves, but to look totally to him. Then we continue on in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That blessing there is translated as favor in the New American Standard Bible. It's translated as gift in the Christian Standard and King James versions. So it's the idea of of this grace, of the way that God shows his kindness to us, even in the midst of a life-despairing situation that Paul and his co-workers went through. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, notice this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I hope you caught that. That all grace would abound to you. So that in all things, in the various trials that you face, difficulties and things that you face, you go, man, David's never experienced that. And you may look at the person next to you, boy, they've never experienced that. And a lot of times that may be true, but I'm gonna, I want to encourage you to know that God's grace matches the difficulty that you're going through. So as you look to him, just like Paul says, hey, we were in despair. I mean, we thought this was the end. I want to encourage you to look to Christ and go, this, perhaps God, you're allowing this so that I won't rely on myself at all, but that I would look to you and know that all grace can abound to me at all times in my life. This is the idea of Hebrews we see in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And think through this a little bit. You can go to the throne of grace. I can go to the throne of grace. Andy who's here visiting can go to the throne of grace. Kelly, a friend of ours who's here visiting, she can go to the throne of grace. And, and everything that we face... God, can, God is there all the time. He says, yep, I've got grace for that, and I have grace for that, and I've got grace for that. And listen, I have an abundant grace that will never, ever be depleted. I have enough grace for all of your needs. Your trials will be varied, but God's grace is greater. You know, most of us don't automatically associate Thanksgiving with trials and difficulties. Usually this is a time, at least in our, in our modern culture, we think, yeah, I mean, we're going to celebrate and we're going to have a big dinner and we're going to go shopping and we're going to watch football or, or whatever you do. Some of it's camping. Yeah, we camp, you know, thanks. Some of it's, I go to the beach for Thanksgiving. Whatever you do, we often think about fun and happy and, and good things for Thanksgiving. 
But as we look back, you know, even at the very beginning of, of part of kind of this heritage that, that uh, we, we share here in America, you know, the first harvest celebration came after a very, very difficult year. Almost 50 people, almost half of the people that boarded the Mayflower died during that first year. So they, they come together in this harvest celebration, and thankfully they'd had a good winter, but yet half of their people were gone. They were no more. Two years later, we, we kind of look back, and sometimes in history books or plays, children's plays, we kind of look back at that harvest celebration as the first Thanksgiving. It was never called that from what we can see in history. We just have kind of two uh, brief descriptions of that. But two, day, two years later, in 1623, Governor Bradford did declare a day of Thanksgiving because they'd had a serious drought and he called upon those to, to pray and to look to God. And then when, when God responded and gave, gave rain, he says, let us, side, let us set aside a day of thanksgiving. There was, there's many difficulties. For many, many years, thanksgiving was not an official holiday. But President Abraham Lincoln declared it to be an official holiday. And I want to read some of the things that he said in that declaration. This was a time in probably one of the darkest times of our nation's history. When brothers rose up to fight against brothers. When families sometimes were divided. When states were, were fighting against different states. The Civil War. One of the darkest times in American history. But notice what President Abraham Lincoln said, Now therefore I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do hereby appoint and set apart the last Thursday of November next as a day which I desire to be observed by all my fellow citizens. Wherever they may then be as a day of thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God, the beneficent creator and ruler of the universe. And I do further recommend to my fellow citizens aforesaid that on that occasion they do reverently humble themselves in the dust you, you, you recall any recent president talking like this? <laughs> Do you recall? I mean, would this be like a, a great campaign speech? Listen, humble yourselves in the dust. No. But he says, they do reverently humble themselves in the dust and from thence offer up penitent and fervent prayers and supplications to the great disposer of events for a return of the inestimable blessings of peace, union, and harmony throughout the land, which it has pleased him to assign as a dwelling place for ourselves and for our posterity throughout all generations. So we celebrated now officially Thanksgiving Day as a nation for about 160 years. But unfortunately, our nation has come so far from any resemblance of this type of celebration. And may I call upon you as brothers and sisters in Christ that yes, I want you to have a great Thanksgiving dinner and I want you to enjoy your football or camping or beach or shopping or whatever it may be, but I pray that you would take some designated time and come before God and say, God, may we, be, may we repent of any sins that we have, that we repent of the sins of our nation and God, may you show mercy on our nation. May you help us as followers of Jesus Christ to, be, to, to show forth and to live as heirs of this living hope. That as we face trials, as we face the scorn, as we're, as we're set aside, as we're deemed as crazy and as radical, God, may we at this Thanksgiving come before you and ask that we would ever be faithful to you. 
that we would be humbled by the trials that we face, that our, our experiential knowledge of you would grow, that even through coming through some of those trials, as we're going to see in more depth next week, as we come through some of those trials, we can look back and say, man, my faith is real. It's genuine. I've said that I believe this. I've said that I believe God's enough. I've said that God's grace is sufficient. And now I've gone through some things and I can look back and say, it is. It's genuine. It's real. It's not fake. May we do that as a family, as individuals, as a church family this Thanksgiving. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray?